Hey, uh, thank you for joining us today here at Southridge uh, for this message. We're continuing on this week uh, with our series, It's Fine. This is uh, week number two of that series. Um, and as I talked to you all a few weeks ago uh, when I was giving one of the messages during the summertime, a few of us uh, will give messages to provide Jeff a little bit of relief so that uh, he can concentrate on the summer camp that we have here, which goes uh, from from just about daylight until uh, it's getting dark uh, every single day during the during the weekdays. And then uh, he's also doing some preparations for the upcoming year as we're taking a look at uh, the messages, the series, and the studies that we're going to do in our small groups. So we're going to continue on this week uh, uh, talking about our emotional uh, health. Um, and last week, uh, as Ch- Chad was talking about it, he, he left us, you know, talking about with winning our emotions. Um, so we're going to look at emotions as a whole today, and we're going to kind of describe when it comes to relationships, um, how others reap from our emotional habits that each one of us sows. Uh, that phrase, it's fine, is a uh, phrase that uh, you would see me using quite a bit, actually. Uh, anytime that I am done with a conversation or I don't think the conversation is going anywhere where I think it should be going, it's very easy for me to just say, it's fine, and we'll end the conversation and we'll be done. But typically, what it means is something is actually being left left undone. Um, something was not discussed, something was not decided, or um, some reconciliation didn't occur. Um, so that's kind of what the title package is about uh, as we take a look at this uh, this series here. So Chad also talked last week about how much time we spend on our personal hygiene. Uh, he even showed you, uh, I think, a basket full of a number of personal hygiene, different products uh, that people tend to use on a daily basis. Um, we will, as individuals, tend to spend a good bit of time, you know, brushing our teeth, combing our hair, washing our bodies, taking care of ourselves, uh, taking care of the physical hygiene portion. Um, but where we often lack is uh, in the emotional hygiene realm. Um, and that's what we're trying to get uh, some grap- grapple with some, some of that during this, uh, during this series. Um, humans understood that the more they took care of themselves, the more they kept themselves clean. It kind of warded off diseases um, and illnesses. Um, but for some reason, while we've kind of figured that out, we haven't done very well figuring out the emotional side. Uh, and we see it quite a bit in our society today. You see it on the news every single day. You pull down any YouTube videos. Um, you will see it on YouTube videos. Uh, people who are getting into arguments uh, being brake checked or how somebody drove um, or other things that, that are going on. So it is it's very prevalent in our societies today. All right, Chad also last week defined um, hygiene itself, and hygiene means the practices that keep you healthy. So once again, once we, while we spend a lot of time trying to understand and we spend time teaching the physical hygiene, we tend to avoid everything uh, or things that are associated with emotional hygiene. Most people just aren't comfortable with that. So what is emotional hygiene? And in the same way that you know, dental hygiene involves brushing our teeth, flossing our, flossing our teeth every day, personal hygiene involves uh, cleaning ourselves and take care of physical injuries when we sustain them. But an emotional hygiene refers to being mindful of our psychological health, uh, adopting daily habits uh, 
um, that help us monitor and address uh, psychological wounds when we sustain them. What would change in our lives if we spent as much time on our emotional hygiene as we did on our physical hygiene? So currently, our general neglect of emotional hygiene is pretty profound. Um, how, how it is that we spend most of the day taking care of other parts of our body, but we do not take near as much care of our minds. So it's impossible to grow until you know, and knowing is the beginning of growing. And that's uh, one, of the, one of the phrases I think that Chad last week uh, relayed to everybody. It's impossible to grow until you know, and knowing is the beginning of growing. So our emotions enslave us until we find the language to figure out how to let them out. Last week, Chad introduced uh, this wheel of emotional words or emotion words. Um, and this graphic starts out with the six basic emotions, which are happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, and surprise. And then it's broken down even further to get you to those 100 total emotions that we have. That's an awful lot, and that can get pretty messy when it's not under control. So half the wheel shows how we feel when our needs are being met. The other half of the wheel shows how we feel when the needs are not being met. When adults lack an emotional vocabulary, they also lack the skills to regulate themselves in moments of elevated emotion. And we need to recognize what we're feeling, and then know how to deal with what we are feeling. So a story that I like to tell related to this one, because um, this is an area of my life that is taking me a while to, uh, to, to work with, uh, to get better, to improve. Um, but in a, about 2007, 2008 time frame, I was an executive officer uh, for a, a light cavalry squadron. We were deployed to Iraq. And um, my operations sergeant major came in, and, and he asked me if I had seen the slide that was being passed around in the squadron. And, and I told him, no, I had not. And he went to his email, and he said, go and check your email. So I opened it up, and there's this slide, and it's got uh, five columns, four rows of pictures of me. And it's titled, The Many Emotions of the XO. And it's got one that says sadness, happiness, laughter, fear, blah, blah, blah. It just so happens that that same, that each one of those was the same exact picture. It was the same exact picture of me, stone cold, stone, stone faced person. And as I looked at it, I realized, yeah, that, that is me. And I also realized that is the person at that time that I wanted the world to see. And I wanted to portray to the world. I wanted people to know that I was fairly emotionless and I dealt with things that were happy the same way that I dealt with things that, um, that were difficult to deal with. So the sad reality is that most of us will never go forward until the pain of staying where we are is unbearable. That was Pete Scazzaro uh, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I think that is a, a very, very great quote, and I'll come back to that in a little bit, and I'll relate it to, to that, that uh, picture that was being passed around of me. So most of us tend to neglect 
positive habits or behaviors that will strengthen our emotional health. Health, But why is it? Why is that the way of followers of Jesus uh, from, from becoming self-aware? Why do we neglect or avo- avoid Christ-centered habits or behaviors that strengthen our emotional, spiritual health? So have you ever thought, I don't know what I'm going to find. That's fear. It's too complex to understand. It's difficult. I will t- it will take too much work. That's apathy. I could probably wing it. So now I'm masking and I'm pretending. But pretending feels safer than honesty and vulnerability, but leaves us with a pretend version of ourselves. People who don't address this, un- address this undermine the relationships they say they care about most. You have the life that you have chosen. These are serious issues. Unaddressed loneliness is as serious to your emotional health as smoking is to your physical health. So here's what we're going to focus on today. What do emotionally healthy people know? And what do emotionally healthy people do? So one of the most interesting interactions that occurred between Jesus and his followers teaches us about what kind of habits we're to follow. So I'm going to read all eight of the verses first, and then we're going to come back and we're going to break them down. And as I read them, I know I'm giving this out of of context, and I'm not going to provide much emotion uh, into this as, as we think about the eight verses or read the eight verses. So this is coming out of uh, John four thirty-one to 38. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So before we go on any further, let's, uh, let me stop and give you a little bit of context about this interaction that Jesus had with his disciples, because I think it's helpful in understanding how and why this conversation occurred the way that it did. So, this is the time that Jesus and his disciples are making a trip from Judea to Galilee. That's about a 70-mile trip, all right? So think about that. You've got to walk 70 miles. You know, they, they, I've heard it said that, you know, when they were western frontier, when they were moving out west, typically on a good day they were going to cover 15 miles a day. Um, and, again, as someone who was formerly in the Army, when you did a you would do a 12-mile ruck march, and you had to have it done within three hours, and you were really pushing hard to get done in three hours. So 70 miles, depending on how hard you're pushing, is going to take somewhere probably at least three days, maybe up to six or seven days, depending on how fast you're going. But they had to pass through Samaria. They came to a city in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So if you remember in the fall, for those of you that were with us, we 
did a study, an alignment study on Joseph, Jacob being Joseph's father. So Jesus stopped at a well known as Jacob's well and struck up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. She was a woman with a colorful reputation, and Jesus used this opportunity to speak with her, and he revealed himself as the Messiah. As their conversation is ending, here come the disciples up towards the well, and she's getting ready to leave because now she's so excited that she realizes that he is the Messiah and that he, she believes that he's the Messiah. She's going back to the city and she's going to tell her friends to come and meet the Messiah. So the disciples approach, and this, these eight verses, this is the conversation that they have. So think about this. The disciples are approaching... They just saw Jesus talking to a woman by himself, a Samaritan woman by himself, and they've been traveling for a while, and they know he's a little weary. All right, So I think this is kind of how the conversation starts out. You're walking up, you're seeing this, and you're thinking, what in the world is Jesus thinking doing what he just did? There's got to be something wrong with him. Maybe he's kind of worn out and he's really tired. So let's go to, to, to 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. So look closely at the word that's leading out this verse. This kind of struck me and caused me to have to have to look this one over again and ask, why did it start with the word meanwhile? It's because the Jesus that the disciples had just seen Jesus having that conversation, and the woman has left. The woman who is believing now that she has encountered the Messiah, who is going to tell her friends to come meet the Messiah. So that's why you end up with this, this meanwhile starting off when them urging him. Shouldn't have been talking to this woman at all. And so they're assuming that, hey, he's, he must be pretty hungry. He must be pretty worn out. So they're paying attention to only his physical hygiene. But Jesus is paying attention to something a little bit bigger than that. So... It got me to thinking, how do you think Jesus is feeling toward the disciples at this point? You think he might be a little uh, surprised by the disciples' first words to him? I think, and others I've spoken with, believe that at this point, Jesus is probably a little agitated and he's a little bit frustrated with his disciples because he just missed the importance of the interaction that had just occurred with this Samaritan woman. So let's see how Jesus responds to this. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So did he mean that he had food stored away someplace where, uh, in a pouch, someplace else that the disciples didn't know about? No, that, that wasn't the case. What he's saying is, I'm worried about stuff that you're not worried about. I'm thinking about stuff that you're not thinking about. I'm working on stuff that you're not working on. So while you're focused on the physical nature of the here and now, I'm thinking about the everlasting life. At this point, I'm sure the disciples are taken a little bit back. They're a little bit confused by his comment. So what do they do? The disciples look at each other. Could someone have brought him food? They missed it. They still think he's talking about food that can be eaten. They're also doing what kids do when they've been caught. And it's really ambiguous about what just happened. They're pointing fingers at each other and deflecting at each other, saying that somebody else had responsibility. 
All right, so think about how it's unfolding. It's almost like a group of children who realize something isn't right, but they're starting to point fingers at each other even when they don't know what is quite wrong. They're missing it. They knew it, and Jesus knew it. So at this point, I imagine Jesus is watching each of them squabbling with each other, and he probably speaks a little bit louder to get their attention, but in a very curt, definitive tone. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So now Jesus has made it really clear to them. There's no way to misunderstand what it is that he's referring to. This doesn't mean that Jesus didn't care about his physical hygiene. He just knew that there were other habits that were far more important. Jesus points at and says, if you miss what God has, you'll have a life that's not worth living. Having a clear connection with his heavenly Father was more important than having food. So what I think probably is occurring at this point is the disciples are probably back on their heels a little bit. I imagine there's an uncomfortable silence. I imagine that the disciples are looking down and away from Jesus at this point as they're trying to process everything that just was said. And Jesus is probably trying to gauge whether or not they're getting it. So let's look at how Jesus helps clarify. And at this point, I think he's emotionally shifting from surprise, agitation, and frustration to showing love, sensitivity, trust, and optimism. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. So I think it's interesting that Jesus starts out by saying don't you have a saying he grew up in a similar he grew up in a similar way to all of them with the same customs but he just separated himself from them in other words aren't you used to procrastinating aren't you used to waiting until the very last moment it should be clear that we shouldn't be waiting until it's too late we should be doing something now What you're doing now matters. And Jesus moves on to clarify, and even further for the disciples. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So as reapers, the disciples had the great and rewarding privilege of leading people to faith in in Christ. Others had already done the work of the sowing. Both kinds of workers, the sower and the reaper, get their pay. And the best kind of emotional habits take you closer to Jesus, not away from him. And let's see how Jesus closes this out. He's teaching a lesson. He's balancing some admonishment with grace and understanding. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. In this context, he's saying, 
The reapers harvest the crop for eternal life. And even though they didn't do the work for it, Jesus' disciples were involved in ministry to others in the issue of death and life, and that was the greatest reward. Jesus is closing the conversation, helping them understand the interconnectedness of them and others, others who have, in some cases, have come before them. So we're all interconnected. Others will feel the effects of the work that you do or you don't. Everyone wins when you do the hard work of the heart. Others will reap from the emotional habits that you sow, that we sow. So think about the emotional habits that you're sowing and what others may be reaping or not reaping. So I gave you up front that description of that that would be called a meme now that was being passed around of me and how that was exactly what I wanted people to see and what I wanted people to believe of me, right? Well, that came back, and I know for a fact that it hurt relationships with people. I know for a fact that it hurt relationships with the people that were closest to me in my life because what I was doing in my work life started translating also into my personal life. So what should you do? What are the emotional habits that healthy people do? So here's four habits that I think we can practice. So let, first one, let your feelings in the car, but don't let them drive. I know that oftentimes when I start feeling a certain way or I start getting anxious about something that's going on or I start thinking that somebody is doing something that they shouldn't be doing, I put myself in check, and I realize that I probably don't have all the information that I need. So I replace that emotion with others so that I actually am figuring out what's going on and realizing how I can support people a little bit better. We need to maintain an ongoing dialogue with the healthy, Christ-centered people. Okay, No one can do this alone. Right? It's interesting that this is coming out in this message because just this week at one of my morning men's Bible studies, this exact message came out as we were studying David and his mighty men. Look for those that are surrendered to Christ and handled with people with truth and with grace, not just one or the other. Third one, prioritize feedback from others over your own assessment. We talked about this two, three, three messages ago, I think that was when, when I gave it. I talked about that, about what do wise people do? Wise people seek the advice of others. And then finally, invite the Holy Spirit into the process. Until we invite him into the process, there's only so much that can be accomplished. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is more than capable of healing our emotional wounds including our need to pretend. So failing to establish any of these healthy emotional habits ultimately undermines the relationships you care about most. And what you end up doing is you end up trying to claw your way back and you end up trying to figure those, those things out and what those emotional habits are that you should be, uh, should be sowing. 
All right, as we go into Beyond the Message, there's a few questions that, uh, that I would like you all to think about in the upcoming week. One, what are you currently sowing that the people who are most important to you will someday reap? Is what you're sowing good or bad? And finally, are you creating healthy emotional habits so that they will one day benefit? Why or why not? All right, if you would, pray with me. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to better understand this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. Thank you for our many emotions, and we ask that you guide us in helping us understand how to manage our emotions. We ask that any of us who are trying to navigate our emotional health alone be met by someone else, and that we all understand the importance of our connections with each other. Finally, for those of us who aren't sowing well, please guide us and encourage us to get better at it. In your name I pray. Amen.